Welcome to Verse by Verse. Uh, I'm so excited that you've joined us back here. We're going to start chapter two of Ephesians. So if you've missed chapter one, I encourage you to hit pause. Um, I know you're excited to get in chapter two, but go back and make sure you, that you listen to chapter one because it informs how we got here. And so he's already set the case for, you know, uh, God's love for his people and how he's chosen and predestined them. That's its own big topic and what he's done to save them. And then again, his people, the church are his inheritance and he loves them and he's the head of the body. The church is the fullness of God who fills everything in every way. And then we land in chapter two. In chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, today we're going to cover verses one through 10. And this is probably, I mean, it's hard to quantify this, but probably one of the, the f- most famous passages, first of all, within the Bible and the New Testament, let alone within Ephesians. And it covers uh, something that's, that's paramount in terms of its importance to our faith and our understanding of salvation. Um, and it starts with this in, in, in chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. He sets the tone. And again, to get to the good news, you gotta, you gotta wade through the bad news. And the bad news is this, as for you, (laughs) okay, that's, that's not just about you, you, me, humanity, as for us, okay? But he's speaking to the church in in Ephesus. Again, he's in prison for the gospel. He, the apostle Paul used to be named Saul and he used to persecute the followers of the way, Christians. And so, uh, this is him. This is you. This is me. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. All right. So what are you able to do? If you died, what are you able, what are you capable of doing? Can you do anything? The answer is an obvious no. Like you're incapable of doing anything. You're dead. So it's a very final, like, there's a finality to that statement. To understand where he's going with this, he's got to set the the understanding that because of our sin and our transgressions, we were dead. You, me, everybody. He's saying to the the church in, in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, that you've sinned against a holy and perfect God and the wages of sin is death. And there's nobody else but Jesus who doesn't have that sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the standard of God, which is perfection. So we're all dead in our sins. He says in in verse two, in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He makes it sound like this is past tense. First of all, that you're dead. So apparently you've come back to life. Uh, he's going to get to that. But but secondly, that you used to, to follow the prince of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's talking about Satan. Satan is the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the air breathers, those who are on this earth, the, the, the human race in terms of he has a limited rule and he is leading astray as you can tell most people. And so 
This is serious. He says, that's, that's what you used to be. You used to be a follower of Satan. Did you, did you used to wear a t-shirt? It's like, you didn't, you didn't declare it that way, but that's what you were before salvation through Jesus. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And you used to follow, used to follow Satan, whether you realized it, acknowledged it or not. Man, that is a strong negative start to this story. But it's important that we understand that this is where we started. This is where gratitude for the grace of God and and just amazement at the work and love of God that he did by dying on the cross for us. It starts with us understanding that we were totally depraved without, without a savior, that we needed resurrection in our lives. But I want to hit again on that, that used to, this, this, this before and after. When you look at your life, and I know that that you haven't reached perfection, just like I and you won't reach perfection until we meet Jesus fully in his full glory at the second coming. But can you look at your life before you gave your life to Jesus and now and say, man, I'm a new creation. It's a new life. I don't follow the ways that I used to follow. I don't do the things I used to do. Does that describe you? Does that describe the way that you try and seek to live your life? Do you, or do you just look just like the rest of the world, but you claim you're a Christian or you go to church somewhere on Sundays? He says, there should be something so different that you've been raised from the dead because of Jesus. That you used to follow Satan and now you follow Jesus. You are a different person. This is what you used to do, past tense, but presently, that's not what you do. He continues in verse three. All of us, this is very inclusive of humanity. Okay, it's not like, well, the Apostle Paul's like, those people out there, they used to do all these sinful things. He says, all of us. The Apostle Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. Like, I was the worst of the worst. He says, all of us lived, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. What is your, what is your flesh and your, your, your sin nature? What does it desire? What comes supernatural to you? Like what very, very natural. You don't have to, you didn't have to learn it. You didn't have to like figure out how to desire or crave something. What is it that just like you really struggle against? There's usually one, two, three top, top things, whether it's lust or greed or just pride, selfishness, anxiety. What is it? I mean, there's many more than that, by the way, but but what is it that, that really is at the top of your list that you, that you go, man, I, I, every day I wake up, I've got to keep this intentionally surrendered to Jesus because if I don't, it will, it, I, will be, I will follow the cravings and desires of my flesh. He says, this was what we were, that we follow the cravings and desires of our flesh. He says in verse four, but... This is always a great word in scripture because it, it takes where he finds us and moves us to where we need to be. He says, but because of his great love for us, that 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's really good news. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, I mean, he's filthy rich. He's so, so unbelievably rich in mercy, made us, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Wow, this is, we're just halfway through this, okay? We're just, we're just now getting kind of into the meat of this. But he says, listen, the bad news is that you were dead in your sins and transgressions. But the good news is that because of God, who is rich in mercy and love, he made you alive with Christ. And it's by grace you have been saved. Let's, let's keep reading here because it just, he, he, he reiterates this, but he keep, keeps going and goes deeper. He says, and God raised us up this from death to life this resurrection he raised us up with Christ which is cool because where does he take us and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus now he reiterates this not only do you go to be with Christ but this only happens because of Christ Jesus and his work like the way to the father is only through Jesus he is the way the truth and life not all roads lead to heaven not all religions lead to the same place it's only those who put their faith and trust in the work of Christ Jesus that's how you receive this resurrection it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ, that God became flesh. And a man named Jesus, starting out as obviously as a baby, and he grew up a perfect, sinless man who paid for the price of our sin. And then he conquered death through his resurrection. And he raises us back to life and seats us in the heavenly realms with him. Basically, we get to share in the inheritance that only he deserves. What we deserve is death because of our sin. But we get to share in the resurrected life, the inheritance of Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. That's incredible. Like, that is unbelievably amazing. And it says in verse 7, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, why is God's love so big? Why is his mercy so great? Why does he express his kindness in a way that even put him to death? Why did he have to go through all that? He went through it because he wants to show just how amazing his love and kindness and and mercy and grace is, how big it is. That he is so powerful that he can raise us from the dead and he does it because his, his grace and his love is so massive. He doesn't make you love him. He doesn't make you follow him. He doesn't make you accept this amazing gift of grace. He doesn't force you to do that. You still have the option, but, but we understand from earlier in chapter 1 that he has called those, that he has predestined and chosen those who will be his. And that is his right, because he doesn't owe anybody life. So he gets to choose who he gives life to. 
we are not sovereign. We do not understand who is chosen just by looking at somebody. We must be, we're kept honest in that, that everyone, we must share and, and spread the seed of the gospel, the truth of God to anyone, inviting them to accept this, this great gift of God's grace and salvation. He says in verse eight, he reiterates, for it is by grace you have been saved. Can he make it any clearer? Like what, what saves us? It's the grace of God. It's, it's this grace for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, faith being this assure, assurance of trust that in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is putting your trust and weight on him, that your life depends on him as Lord, master. That's what Lord means as master and savior, the one who paid the price of your sin. It is, for it is by grace you have been saved through your trust, your faith in him. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, I think we struggle with gifts some days because at Christmas time, I have, there, there are expectations on who I give a gift to, which is kind of counter to the word, the definition of gift. Gift is an unmerited uh, favor towards someone. They don't deserve it. They don't expect it. They don't earn it. And you decide to give it anyways. That is a gift. No one deserves that gift. Um, but I think sometimes we, we like, well, I, I owe someone this gift or they're expecting this gift. Not so with God. A gift is something that we didn't earn or deserve, and yet he gives us this gift. And then he follows it up in verse 9 and says, not by works. Very clear here. There's nothing we can do. Nothing we can ever do. No, no, no. The greatest thing in your entire life will not earn you salvation. You don't, you don't get to a place where you're, you say, man, my works have, uh, have you know, outgrown my, my bad deeds. My good deeds have outgrown my bad deeds. It doesn't work that way. You, you don't get to like, you know, work hard enough to do good works so that you can earn your salvation. Even the most spiritually kind of awesome thing that you do, even that but honor God, it's not enough. There's nothing you can do. And so we need to understand that, that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift from God and it is not by works so that no one can boast. It, no one can boast. Now, here's where the question comes up. Um, what do you need to do to be saved? Okay, now I will admit that this specific passage does not talk about how you receive, how do you interact with the salvation? H how does somebody go from death to life? What do they need to do to be sure that they put their faith and trust in Jesus? Well, this happens in your head and heart. You, you, there's nothing else that happens. It is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus to be saved. But we have a lot of scripture to go off of as to tangibly, okay, what do I do? What do we need to do? In fact, this is, this gets asked in, in Acts chapter two, they go, what do we need to do? We're, we're cut to the heart. We're convicted. We believe that we have crucified the Messiah what do we need to do to be saved? What do we need to do to make things right? And, and the first thing Peter says is repent. 
turn 180 degrees from the way you are following and gratifying the desires of your flesh and turn 180 degrees, turn around and go towards God. Like walk towards God, turn your heart toward God and away from yourself. Repent. Don't skip this step. You can believe in who Jesus is. You can believe he died on a cross. You can believe you raised from the dead. You can believe that he takes people to heaven. Not enough. Satan believes those things, but he does not follow Jesus. And so when we think about putting your faith and trust in Jesus, we need to understand that, again, it's only by his grace that you're saved. There's nothing you can do to earn that salvation. But you, Peter says, you gotta, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to repent of your ways and turn and follow Jesus saying, you're the way, the truth, the life. I can only receive salvation through your grace and my faith. I put my faith in you and not in me. That's a big deal. But he doesn't stop there. He says, repent and be baptized. Now, again, this people get all worked up. They get all hot and bothered by this. Listen, the Bible talks about baptism like 90 times, okay? We shouldn't be afraid of baptism I don't know how you grew up and whether you grew up where you've never been baptized, you were baptized as a baby, you were baptized later in life. I know there's a lot of emotion that goes around this. Baptism, biblically, is not a work. If it were, uh, if it were, then, I mean, the Apostle P- the, the Apostle Paul got baptized. We see tons of people getting baptized. <laughs> like, this is not a work, but you're not saved by baptism. You're saved by the grace of God, putting your faith in Jesus. But the first command to tangibly do, the first act of obedience you must do, according to Jesus and the apostles, is to be baptized, which represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that saves us. That how he paid for our sin and gave us life is through his death, burial, and resurrection. And baptism is where you die to your old self tangibly and you're raised to new life. Now, if you do that and you don't actually have your faith and trust in Jesus, then it's just getting wet. You're just like, it's a weird, it's a weird bath with all your clothes on. It's, it's, that's, that's nothing special. But for those who actually have put their faith and trust in Jesus and their head and their heart, it is the thing that I believe should be done with with some urgency. Not like in a fearful way, but something that should be top priority. That if you say, I know I need a savior. I know I need the grace of God that is the only thing that can save me. God, what do you need me to do? Repent, turn, turn to me. Don't just believe it. Follow me. Put your faith and trust in me as, as only my grace can save you. And then be obedient to baptism. Baptism is a very tangible thing that, that you interact with. You, 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 there's a tangible thing that, that you interact with the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that, that you don't do on accident. When have you ever accidentally been baptized? Like, never. But, but you know, and I, I'm going to call this out in a way that I think needs called out. The, the Bible doesn't have a prayer of salvation. Praying is good. I'm not against praying. I'm not against praying even in and around salvation. But but there's not some special prayer in the Bible that you pray to sal- to, to you just like baptism. Baptism means nothing without your heart being in the right place. Prayer of salvation doesn't mean anything without someone's heart being in the right place. But there's tons of people who've raised their hands or prayed a prayer of salvation, you know, 50 times. 
And, and yet that doesn't, they, they do it time and time again, not really knowing. Baptism is this really tangible thing that's like, that was the day that I crossed from death to life. By God's grace, it meant life to me, not by my work so that I can boast, not so that I can earn my salvation, but to be obedient to the, the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. I died to my old self with Jesus and I was buried and I was raised to a new life. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Check it out. Check it out. Acts 2, 38. Just keep reading there. 3,000 people got baptized that day at Pentecost, and it's an incredible gift that God has given us. But it's a command as well that we should follow after Jesus in his death and resurrection. So listen, that doesn't mean that we're saved by a work. It just means that we need to be obedient because the next thing he says is, although you're not saved by your works, you have been created by God and predestined to live into the good works that God has for you. And so he says in verse 10, he finishes out the section, for we are God's handiwork. Like we're his masterpiece. We're handcrafted by God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We shouldn't be afraid of good works thinking, oh, we're earning our salvation. No, but our salvation should lead us into the good works that God has prepared, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, this is amazing that we get invited not only into salvation, but we get invited into the good work, the ministry of God to the world around us, that we get to to be a part of of the the amazing ministry of reconciliation that God has, not just for us, but for other people as well. And so I hope that, do you think of your life that way, that God, man, you wake up in the morning, you're like, God, you've prepared things in advance for me to do good works, for me to live into, to be faithful and say, yes, Jesus, I want to do that. And I get to be a representative. I get to be part of the fullness of God who fills everything in every way through my part of being the body of Christ, the church. As a follower of Jesus, that's what he calls us into when he brings us from death to life. It is by God's grace that you can be saved through faith in what Jesus has done, not by works, so that you and I can never boast but by only by God's grace. And I pray that encourages you, that, that it fills you with gratitude, that you look at it and say, man, I deserve nothing. Like, I don't care if you grew up in church or not, you deserve nothing. I don't care how much you know about the Bible, you deserve nothing apart from God's kindness, mercy, and grace. Man, that is really good news. And so I hope this encourages you. We'll pick up in, in verse 11 of chapter two soon. But uh, if, you are, if you're blessed by this, make sure you share this with others, that others can be uh, partakers in this. And I hope that what verse by verse does is that we get to really walk through scripture and grow your confidence and say, man, if I just slow down, and if I just read this, not just with my head, but with my heart and ask the spirit of God to lead me, that there's so much to glean even just every verse that I might gloss over, there's so much to glean from God's word. And um, this is how we discern what is truth of God and what is not truth. And so we've got to be in it. And so I hope that that you're enjoying following along with me and that it's helpful for you, but really that it's training you to say, I can read scripture. 
I don't need Cody to necessarily be my tour guide all the time. I can read it and and really ask for the Spirit's wisdom to discern it. I will say that uh, discerning God's word in isolation is never a good idea. Things can easily be taken out of context. You need people who know more than you to help guide you in that and so that you're not misinterpreting something. I, I do I do agree with that. But you don't need to be afraid to read the Bible for yourself. In fact, it should be your daily bread. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I pray that today this encourages you with that daily bread. And um, we'll hope to you know, that you'll join us again in verse 11 soon. Mm-hmm.